Hello listener, welcome to Switch It, the podcast that can definitely still do it on a wet Tuesday under lights at the Aegeus. Yes, long after most had given up the will in another rain-affected Southampton test, oh Jimmy Jimmy became Jimmy 600 as Anderson broke new ground for a fast bowler and everyone else exchanged relieved glances that we don't have to sit around for another six months speculating about if and when he'll get there. England's test match bubble remained intact to the end, a 1-0 win over Pakistan making it three successful series in a row for Joe Root's side. No time to rest on that achievement though, as Root goes straight into action for Yorkshire in tonight's Vitality Blast. And England's white ball core prepared to take on Pakistan in three T20Is starting on Friday. To discuss all this, I'm joined today by Osman Samiuddin, ESPN Cricket Info senior editor, who has spent a lot of time recently contemplating Jimmy and his magic balls. And assistant editor Matt Roller, who mainly remembers Anderson's 2003 test debut as the summer before T20 was invented. How are we doing, chaps? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Um, good, to, good to get the rain out of the way um, and hopefully we'll have a nice sunny stretch of five weeks to get as much T20 in as possible running into finals day on October the 3rd, the date that's been in everyone's calendars for all of two weeks. Yes. I've got it down in my in my diary here. Um, good. <laughs> We've moved all the rain to Karachi. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> heavy heavy rains and heavy floods there. So I hope everyone's safe. Um, was this the the uh, amount of rain dancing that Pakistan were doing to uh, to get out <laughs> I think of it's shifted Southampton? Over. Yeah, it's, it's worked in the wrong way. Not 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 there. We wanted it here. Thanks. <laughs> um, but Matt, was it uh, Anderson six hundred or Bravo five hundred? Really, the highlight for you this week? <laughs> Well, I've been straight into the CPL, but um, yeah, no, I, I obviously um, good achievement for Jimmy to to get there. There was there was very much a point on the final day where it looked like we were going to have to wait to uh, until Gould twenty twenty one, or if he even got selected for that tour, who knows? It could have been could have been a real long stretch. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure he's glad to have ticked that one off the list. Yeah, let's uh, let's start with Mr. Anderson, since he so kindly got there in a way that gave us time to prepare a full package of content. Um, it, it it sort of goes without saying, uh, Oz, that this is a, a pretty remarkable achievement, but but we should maybe say it anyway. It, you know what? It's a pretty remarkable achievement, basically. <laughs> um, Six hundred decimals. No, it's it, I mean. It, isn't it? Is it just just for the summer? I thought it was so fitting that he got there with a couple of second innings wickets, having not taken any <laughs> all summer. He so he comes back and says, "You know what? I'm going to get 600, and I'm going to get them in the second innings of a test match, not even in the first. Um, yeah, phenomenal. Like you know, I I I, I and I I think I've been saying it all week basically about how much I've actually loved watching him bowl. Um, over the years, uh, I had I was very lucky to watch him in the UAE UAE twice when when England came over. Uh, and and he was really good then, you know. There's so much of the talk about how he might go in 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 foreign conditions, but he was so good in the UAE both times. Maybe it has something to do with the fact, you know, a little bit to do with the fact that Pakistan's batting has never been the strongest, and Anderson's always had the wood over them. But you know, his that that one great series that he had in India in 2012, and and one of the one of the one of the lesser highlights, I think it was Anderson who got Tendulkar's wicket in the 2006 series in India, which led to the booing of Tendulkar in Mumbai, was it not? I think it was. It was the only time I think Tendulkar has been booed in Mumbai. And I think it was because Anderson had gotten his wicket with an outswinger. I seem to remember this as part of a defeat. I think that was the, the test that actually squared England the series, the famous ring of fire. Um, what was it? Flint yes, yes. Uh, yeah, no, that actually, that does uh, sound about right. Yeah. 
and it was Anderson who got that wicket. So, you know, if, if nothing else in his life, you put 600, you put 599 of those wickets aside, <laughs> and there's that one wicket that got Mumbai to boo its most famous, most beloved son, Sachin Tendulkar, then that's some achievement, I think, abroad. You know, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Well, we did, um, we sort of ranked, um, uh, or rather the readers ranked some of Anderson's best deliveries, wicket-taking balls, and Sachin Tendulkar is number one on that list. I don't know if it's purely because the identity of the (laughs) batsman being dismissed. I mean, it was a very good ball in in Kolkata in 2012, which possibly was the sort of reverse-reverse that Sachin was talking about recently, where, where Anderson's wrist kind of was position for, for the in-swinger and then it went away hard to tell from uh, watching the replays but I, I was sort of trawling through the, the various Tendulkar dismissals thinking which one's the best one I think I mean I think it was a good ball he was well set and and it was um yeah a pleasing uh wicket on the eye not the one I thought would be the the kind of the the Jimmy ball you know one of his um uh sort of inch perfect outswingers to clip the top of off or something but Matt suggested uh Muhammad Yusuf with a sort of reversing older ball off stump out the ground um there's the one also that I think you've written about for our balls of the century um, list, which is the the big booming in swinger to to Craig Brathwaite. Um, yeah, in they don't bowl them St. like George's. They just nobody <laughs> bowls them like that anymore, right? You don't see an in swinger that big. I mean, you've got what Ishant bowls in swing, Bumrah of course bowls some in swing, but I don't think anyone gets that kind of movement um, uh, on, on a delivery. It's just insane. It's just absolutely physically. It's a, it's a real banana ball that one, isn't it? Uh... Absolutely. There was one. Um, I was thinking about the wicket that he got Azra with, actually, his 600th. And, and it wasn't, like, it, you, you know, you, you could see that on the scorecard and you'd say, oh, yeah, Azra caught Root, bold Anderson. And you'd think, you know, it's a perfect outswinger. Azra either kind of fending a fuller length ball or driving a fuller length ball. And it wasn't really. It was actually quite short, wasn't it? It, it, it kind of reared up a little bit. It was it, it, an yeah, unusual dismissal. It, yeah, it kicked up and it was an unusual Anderson way to, I mean, you know, he gets him caught at slip, essentially he gets the outside edge, but it just, it wasn't your usual standard Anderson wicket delivery. I guess in a way it was quite fitting because this, one of the sort of the themes of Anderson's bowling this summer has actually been the fact that he's somehow sort of found a little bit of extra pace that we didn't really know he had anymore, I think, because I think that, I think people have said that his speeds this summer, the average speed has been the highest since 2014 and it's sort of been up around mm. 84, 85, having been low 80s for most of the last five years and actually I think that yeah that as our wicket was quite a fitting way to get there in a, in a way and that there was just that little bit of extra zip off you know sort of back of a length um guiding it guiding it to root it, um at slip and I guess as well quite a probably root, root was probably the uh the right man to take the catch as well um you'd have to say I quite enjoyed the fact that um James James Bracey the sub fielder actually got there first on the high fives but um <laughs> I'm sure the man always sort of <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was. Uh, I thought I thought it was quite nice. The sort of the fact that um, you know, I don't think Anderson has uh, has has um, declined in any way. I think he's probably probably thrived under Root's captaincy to a certain extent. He's been his go-to, and um, in terms of sort of his his late career flourish, it's um, you know, Root's been the captain for a lot of that. I think it was it was really good. I, and I said it. I think when we were doing the live broadcast with with George and Alexis. Um, you know, he's 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 made a bunny out of better batsmen than Shan Masood. Ultimately, you know, Shan Masood is getting better, but he's you know his his bunnies are like you know Callis and 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 Tendulkar himself. But I I just love the way that you know he had he had tormented Shan in 2016 on his outside edge, going across him, going across him, going across him, picking that fourth stump line, and then Shan comes back, much improved player, vastly improved, and you know he he 
kind of negates him in that first test match. He's a bit lucky, you know, but he doesn't get dropped off Anderson, I don't think. And then Anderson just comes back and he's like, all right, okay, so this is what you've done. Um, I'll just start targeting your fads. <laughs> like within, like within but two overs each time, he was like, all right, okay, so you're leaving outside off stump, are you? Okay, well, listen, just show me your pad and I'm going there. And John Masood's like, what? I worked four years to come back to this and now you found my pad? What are you doing? Amazing, like just a sign of an absolute master, you know, if he had to do it. Just, and just the way he like, he's, he's targeted guys like Azhar Ali and stuff. You know, I, I don't think Azhar Ali is going to face a tougher bowler in his life, to be fair. Um, he, he began his career 10 years ago now in that crazy 2010 summer when Anderson was really swinging it everywhere. Like he was, you know, he was, that was a crazy, crazy summer for swing. And he's what come back since uh, 2010, 16, 18, and now, um, and he's had Anderson every time. I don't think he would have faced a tougher bowler, a guy who would like target his, you know, both his pad and his outside edge. Um, just an absolute master, uh, especially in these conditions, but you know, not to say that he wasn't elsewhere. Yeah, this uh, test being uh, sort of uh, a bit damp and um, swinging, shall we say, he was back in his element. Um, Matt, he, he's he's still fit as a, a butcher's dog, and in some ways, you know, uh, doesn't appear to have aged. But but he clearly has mellowed. What with that period of drop catches, and he was even smiling by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, what was it? Four and thirty-seven balls across the uh, the fourth evening and the the fifth day. Yeah, it was it was quite something, wasn't it? I, I think um, I think especially when Broad dropped what has to be, um, you know, one of the easiest catches he'll ever get at mid on, and then had the cheek to pull off a actually really good bit of fielding that obviously didn't get Anderson as wicket. Um, his fitness actually, I think one of the things that's probably slipped under the radar to a certain extent is that he actually got through five of the six tests this summer. Um, which I, I don't think was probably the original plan. And obviously that's helped a bit by the fact that the, um, the second uh, Pakistan test was almost completely wiped out by, by rain. But, um, you know, sort of coming into the summer, we were talking about people like Craig Overton, Ollie Stone, Saqib Mahmood, uh, whether they get a chance with a bit of rotation. And actually Anderson has ended up, uh, you know, play, managing to get through five of six, which looked pretty unlikely when you consider you know, pulling up four overs into the ashes, uh, failing to get through back-to-back tests in South Africa and sort of long-term doubts as to whether he would actually be able to get through a full series again. Um, so to manage to do it two in two out of two is, I think, um, you know, bodes well for his his long-term plan, which seems to still involve the uh, That Away Ashes series. Well, that's right. It is a long-term plan as he, as he sees it, uh, even at the age of, uh, 38. Although I suppose, Oz, as the old saying goes, you're only as old as the last but one test picket, uh, test wicket you took, which was Nassim Shah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I don't. You know, <laughs> like it sounds insane that we're talking about. So, so he's going to be what? He's going to be 39, going on 40 at, by the time the Ashes comes around. Yeah, he's he'll be 39 next July, I, I think. Yeah, so, so um, he'll be 39 and a half essentially going yeah. to. That is. <laughs> It's insane. To, I, I can't even think. I'm trying to think of like examples. We were looking at so Andrew. Andrew Fernando's done a piece, which will be next week on on Courtney Walsh, and he had like a late career surge, right? I mean, he you know he was good throughout, and he had like a late career surge. But if you try and think of examples of people who stayed fit enough, and it's it's helped that Anderson you know has literally just the one format now to look after. He you know guys like Walsh were playing one day cricket till the end as well, pretty much. But you know I think that's definitely helped his career. Um, that he's been able to concentrate on that. But you just look ahead to Australia, man. It's just such a brutal place 
for fast bowling. Um, it's so and like just over the years, it's for everything, for everything, spinners, life, life generally. <laughs> I, like, it's difficult to know sometimes. It's the only team that's consistently had success and consistently, you know, England had a good 2010, obviously there, but the, the only team with consistent success is is a team that's had one of the great all-time fast bowlers there in it, which was you know Stain. And, and he's always been a bit quicker than Anderson, which is probably what's maybe helped him out there. Um, but it's difficult to know which fast bowlers are going to have a really good series over there. So I don't know. I, I like Anderson as as good as he's been this summer, and he's and, and as good as he is. I just think like another year and a half down the line in Australia. I mean, you know, maybe if the pitches change and you get like a day night test over there. Uh, who knows? I you know, I wouldn't put it past him. Certainly, I wouldn't put put it past him being there and being you know being good enough for it. Um, but I don't. Does, does that now put pressure on the English management to kind of keep him in their thoughts because he's come out right and said it? So I'm I'm just wondering whether that puts the pressure back on them, saying that now you're going to have to drop me, and that's going to be like there's going to be like this huge <laughs> national outcry about dropping him, right? Well, they they he suggested that uh, in that post match, obviously that. England have kind of asked him to be uh, there oh. and available in in Australia. So um, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, a long time away. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he's he's put that out there. Now that's the narrative, you know. <laughs> if uh, if uh, he doesn't make it, well, who knows? Um, I mean, Matt, Matt, he he touched upon the seven hundred wicket mark, and um, he you know he's obviously he's a, a dynamo in in some respects. He has no intention of stopping himself. It, it did take for sort of for comparison it took him three years to get from 500 uh in that summer uh, uh 2017 to 600 here and he's obviously had some injuries in between but can, can we still see anderson uh running in at age sort of 41 uh in, in the summer of 2023 <laughs> it seems unlikely right now doesn't it i mean one of the one of the interesting sort of talking points during the rain on sky was um Shane Warne's suggestion that he should sort of be kept around as this, you know, mm. almost mentor figure mentor, on the way yeah. towards and just, you know, come out and take 20 wickets at 12 every home series, um, which he probably could just about do. But I, I guess that's one of the, the big questions now is um, sort of how he responds to presumably not playing every away test. Um, you think there's there's been a couple of times, uh, I think, in the in the winter when they went to Sri Lanka, he missed a test. Um, you, I guess England have to see how he responds to missing out and whether he's sort of, uh, you know, classic grumpy Jimmy or whether he's more at peace with the fact that he's the senior citizen and putting his arm around the young guys and passing on his tips and sort of working as almost like a consultant or a coach on those tours. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do if if those sort of springtime tours to Sri Lanka and India slash UAE happen um, because he actually has a good record in UAE and Mm. pretty good in India as well but you'd imagine that he's not going to play as much of a part as um, Wood and Archer for example and also England will probably pick three spinners Um, so if they play him in you know three out of six tests it it might be um, or whether they play him in one or whether they try and pick him in five there's a lot of different options and (laughs) I suppose depending on how how that um, works out, we'll probably get a, a bit of a clearer picture on what they might do for the, the away Ashes series because he could be a great man to have as a sort of you know 18th squad member who passes on all his experience and gives people a working over in the nets, but it isn't necessarily in the side um, due to fitness. But who knows? It's it's 
some way off. And yeah, this time last year, I would have doubted that he would have got to 600 by the end of this summer, given his uh, given his fitness. Yeah, it's um, there are no sort of easy series coming up. Uh, well, England don't play Tests for for the rest of this year now. But yes, those tours to Sri Lanka, uh, India, possibly in the UAE, and then India visit um, again, according to the schedule as it currently stands for, for five tests next summer. And then you've got an Ashes uh, tour, which is, uh, yeah, Australia, as it's often said, no country for old men. Um, Oz, as a, you know, with a slightly um, uh, removed perspective on on kind of England's um, fast bowling issues, uh, the the... the the Broderson supremacy, uh, how well placed are England to ever get beyond uh, their two great uh, fast bowling opening uh, bowlers uh, after starting the summer with, you know, Archer and Wood in the side for the first time ever in a test um, and then ending it with, with Broad and Anderson doing Broad and Anderson things for, you know, pretty much all three tests against Pakistan. I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of options there. There, there are like a fair few options there, which is, which is the one thing. I just, I feel like maybe the options have confused them as to how they want to go. And also, you know, this, the, the nature of, of bowlers now, like Broden Anderson, there is a clear thing that, you know, they're going to use them more at home. Well, you know, you still want to, whether or not the World Test Championship matters to you, you still want to win every test that you play, right? People don't turn up on a, on a test ground thinking that, oh, okay, you know, we'll rotate and we'll, we'll experiment with these guys. This, this is test cricket. People still play their best 11s by and large. Um, so at, at home, that means that you play Broad and Anderson as, as often as you can, really, because that's the, the most likely combination to get you a win. I, I think they've proven that again this summer. Um, my, my, I guess my main thing is how they, there seems to be like a lot of confusion over how they're going to handle Jofra Archer. And, uh, you know, uh, like I, I think Jonathan Liu made a, a really, like, just a really simple point. And, you know, we're all non-cricketers, so maybe, you know, we, we, we shouldn't think about it so simply because there is other stuff at play here. And, you know, it, it, is, it, it is complicated being fast bowlers. But ultimately, he's just a really, 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 really good bowler. And you just want him to bowl, right? You, just, you don't need to confuse him and turn him into, like, the enforcer or you then don't need to you know, tinker around with his roles and maybe bowl too many overs in one match and maybe bowl too few overs in some match. He's, he's a really, he's, he's like a, he's almost, I mean, you know, he's not, he's almost like a generational talent. You, you want to you use him. Uh, you don't want to restrict him to, to doing stuff like this. And there, there was a period in that series against Pakistan where, you know, they had like a body line feel to him, um, bowling to Pakistani batsmen. And I'm like, this is Jofra Archer, guys. He can like get you out. He's, he doesn't need to bounce you out. He can get you out. Because he's good enough. That's what we've seen over the last year or so. Um, and, and sure, he may be having like, you know, sophomore blues of some kind, but he's still an excellent, excellent bowler. And that's the, the bottom line is that he's just a really good bowler that you need to play. Um, and don't confuse him and overcomplicate things uh, by putting him in all these different roles. Just, just use him as Jofra Archer, <laughs> a really good bowler. Yeah, I mean, he, um, Matt, he came into this test with a, a sort of a clearly defined role, you know, from from the outset. England talked about him coming back in and they'd said they wanted him to bowl in short, sharp bursts, uh, you know, the emphasis being on 90 miles an hour. And Ann Archer kind of did that. He sort of, well, shrugged his shoulders maybe and said, OK, I can bowl 90 miles an hour and, and quite regularly pushed the speed gun um, up above um, that level. Um, and then and finished the test with 
uh, no wickets, I think. <laughs> and, uh, um, is this because, I mean, it's part of the problem here, kind of England for many years were looking for a third seamer, uh, be it Tim Bresnan or Stephen Finn uh, or Chris Wokes, whatever. Um, and now they've got a third seamer, but one who could possibly be the first or second seamer. Um, and, and, it, and it does take a while at this level for, for bowlers to learn those roles. Uh, I mean, it will be it broad being cast as the enforcer for a while early on and, or Anson as, as the attack leader which he, he sort of obviously is now. Well, if it's not broad, but anyway, <laughs> you know, there, there is an understandable um, kind of settling in period when you move up to, to this level and Arch is kind of going through it in real time in front of our eyes. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, it's a strange thing because I guess England probably have quite a good idea of what they want their, you know, their two opening bowlers, who they want their two opening bowlers to be in, say, five years' time, which is probably Archer and Chris Wokes. Um, but I think, if you had to, you know, if they had to tell you what what it would be in two years' time or three years' time, I really don't think they'd know. And those lines are blurred. You look at sort of what Archer has had success with in his sort of fairly brief Red Bull career, and you know, admittedly, there's a big difference between Division Two of the County Championship for Sussex and Test cricket. But that's been taking the new ball and uh, you know hitting the top of off stump, but, but finding a bit of extra pace and swinging the ball and the bounce as a surprise tactic rather than what he was doing in, in the final test, which I think he did fairly well. And, you know, I guess you almost, he, he probably, that sort of classic team thing about people mopping up the rewards at the other end or whatever, because of the fact that people were nervous about having to face him and hopping around in their crease. But um, yeah, it's been quite odd. I think that the, the, the one of the strange things I thought was the sort of um, the discussion about Archer's pace after the first test and, uh, this whole, I think people people didn't particularly take kindly, shall we say, to his interview where he said this that it wasn't a wicket to bend your back on. But I think he ended with four for eighty six in the first test, um, and everyone was comparing him with Nasim and saying, "Well, you know, Nasim can regularly hit these top speeds. He's seventeen. Why can't you?" I think Nasim ended the series with three wickets, was it? Um, and Archer got four in the first test alone. So I. I d- clearly pace isn't everything I think England are trying to work out what his role is but yeah ultimately it, it, it's tricky and I suppose it's a, a, tip, a typical problem where a lot of people um, generally the best bowlers will take the new ball uh, at a slightly lower level in domestic cricket and then they get to test cricket and because Broad and Anderson are there they have to sort of learn a new role on the job um, which I suppose happens pretty much everywhere um, and is why when you have a, a brilliant change bowler like Wagner or Cummings, um, it's such a big boost. Um, but yeah, who, who knows? I think Archer might find himself opening the bowling on overseas tours before long. But, um, you know, your guess is as good as mine. I don't think England and Chris Silver would know what to do with him any more than uh, the rest of us at this stage. And I think, um, yeah, I think one of the things that's been mentioned actually is the, the appointment of a full-time fast bowling coach Hopefully one that he can strike up a good relationship with should really help him. I think John Lewis, who was his coach at Sussex for a while, um, has been sort of mentioned and that could well be a good appointment, someone that actually knows him and understands him rather than sort of trying to mould him into something. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a sort of lingering question that I imagine we'll be talking about for a, a good a good few months yet. I just feel like if you if you watch his if you watch his spells this summer, and in fact since he's since he's made his debut. He's clearly a better bowler when he's just bowling his his usual lengths, which is, you know, to kind of hit the top of off. 
the, the bouncer has always been he has he has a terrific bouncer you know it's probably the most dangerous bouncer right now in world cricket it, it's difficult to pick up but it's very much his variation it's not you know the go-to line that he kind of goes to and he he's a much more dangerous bowler when he's kind of aiming for your for your for your outside edge and and he can swing it in he he can, he can actually swing the ball in the ball to Abid Ali this 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 in the first test uh and, and that in fact that dismissal his dismissal of Abid Ali Abid Ali is a good batsman and he, he had a pretty decent series he's solid you know he's difficult to get out he may not score that many runs but he's difficult to get out he's got a fairly solid defense and to get him out the way he did in that first very first innings of the series I think when he, he bounced him a little bit, got him on the back foot because he was coming down, and then having him, having him hanging on the crease, he, he went through his defenses with an in-swinger. You know, the, to me, that is Archer at his absolute best. That he can work you out. You know, he doesn't need to pace you out. It, it didn't matter if that ball was 93 miles an hour or 87 miles an hour, to be fair. It was just a good delivery. And the obsession with pace, I think, is just, it's, it's really reductive. The you know, minute he comes on, there was a, there was a stint on commentary the other day when he came on and it was, I think it was Shane Warne who was just, just, just cracking jokes about how, you know, he's, oh, he's, he's, he's not running in as quick right now. And then he wasn't backing up somewhere, although he did back up. And, so, and I just feel like they've reduced Archer a lot of the times to just him being this guy who turns up and bowls quick. And he's not, he's just a really, really good bowler. The pace happens to of course help and it's natural pace, but he's a really, really smart bowler as well with it. You know, it's, it's not the pace that's getting him wickets. It's the fact that he's a good bowler and he can do stuff with that ball that's getting him wickets. Let's uh, not try and turn him into Neil Wagner. That's what you're saying. As yeah, much as I love Neil yes. Wagner. Uh, <laughs> um, well, England, of course, don't play Tessa while Archer can, can forget about all that uh, business and, and get back to having fun in white ball, uh, we hope. Nassim Shah, by the way, only three wickets, but three brilliant balls to take them. Uh, you know, the, no... <laughs> No arguments about that. Um, this match, uh, this, this third and final test, it, it was one for the record books, uh, if not the story books. Uh, we had Anderson, of course. We have uh, Zach Crawley doing uh, England, Kent, Tunbridge School, and most importantly, Ed Smith proud um, by turning his maiden 100 into a whopping 267. Um, he had a partnership of 359 with Joss Butler, uh, which was the joint fourth highest for the fifth wicket in tests. Uh, I mean, this was sort of granddaddy run scoring, um, wasn't it? Uh, on either side of that, Pakistan did okay. They, four for 127, they had England in a little bit of trouble, then four for 97 towards the end. But uh, it was that, that big chunk in, in the, the middle thing. where it kind of went. Yeah, I think, <laughs> because... you know, and I think that, that is kind of, it's been the problem with Pakistan for a while, with their bowling for a while now. No, no matter who they've had in the pace attack, they invariably turn up with a four-man attack and they invariably end up putting a lot of pressure on Yasser Shah um, on that first day. You know, Yasser Shah bowling 30 overs on the first day of a test match, it's not what he's meant. I mean, he shouldn't. That's not the best use of Yasser Shah. You know, you could have fast bowlers around him who can do the bulk of the work on those days. And then Yasser Shah comes into his own on, you know, days two, days three, days four, whatever. But, and they've kind of worked him into the ground with this. This was a, a popular Mizbah thing used to be that, you know, when, 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 when Pakistan were touring abroad, I remember test matches in Australia, even here in England, by the 11th over, Yasser Shah was on on the first day of a test match. And you're thinking, if your three fast bowlers are not bowling more than the first 11 overs of an innings, there's something seriously wrong with them. And I, I feel it's unfair on Yasser Shah because... Not only does it mess does it mess up his figures, you know, because his his like he ends up conceding 150 runs 
almost every third test that he bowls, you know, and he, and he, and, he, and it looks like he's picking up cheap wickets. But if you remember, he, he actually started off bowling really well in that, in that, in that innings and, and he was looking really good. And then of course, yeah, you know, he, two early wickets, two early wickets and he gets worn down after a while because, you know, the other ends are not holding up. So I think the, the main thing which Pakistan and I've been saying this over and over again, and everyone's been saying it. In fact, it's, it's, it's obvious. They've got in Shadab Khan and Fahim Ashraf, two guys who in 2018, when they did really well on a tour of England, uh, they helped you win test matches against Ireland and England. Um, these are two guys that Mickey Arthur, in fact, said that, you know, Shadab Khan is going to be our all-rounder in, in the UAE, in Pakistan, because he can spin, and Fahim will be our all-rounder abroad. Boom, there's your plan. And we were like, okay, that sounds really good. And they've done jack-all with them since. You know, Shadab is still, uh, can play number seven. I think for Pakistan, uh, almost pretty much anywhere. His batting is decent enough to get him into seven, but you know that you you don't. Azhar Ali doesn't know how to kind of use his bowling sometimes. And Fahim, they've just let deteriorate. Like Fahim has only just come back into the Test squad, and his batting now apparently has fallen away to to the to the extent that they just think that they can't pick him anymore. So you know, from from having gone in 2018 to having these two great options as an all rounder. You now have none effectively, and you're playing Fawad Alam in there. Which, uh, yeah, as much as I love Fawad Alam to be to be playing in that side, you can see that long term they need that that bowling attack to be actually, you know, three pacers, one all rounder, and then Yasser Shah. So you kind of lessen the load on all of them. Um, and these guys are young. You know, Shaheen and Nasim are really really young. They haven't played that much first class cricket, so it, they're going to have days where it's going to tell. It's going to it's it's going to weigh kind of really heavily on them. And that was one of those days. Plus, of course. You know, they, they've somehow, I think, despite having Wakar Yunus as their bowling coach, they've somehow have absolutely no idea how to get an old ball into shape for reverse. I'm not saying the conditions were great for it at these grounds, but I mean, come on, guys, Wakar, like, you know, you're, you're the bowling coach. You've got to be passing on some kind of tips to these guys with that, with that old ball, which is when they struggle. So they did well, and they did well, I think, as well as we kind of thought they would do as, as a bowling unit in patches. Um, but again, it, it was the fact that, you know, that they're, not, they're not currently built to sustain that intensity over over the course of an entire innings, let alone an entire test match. Yeah, I mean, I think you were you mentioned earlier in one of our, our pods that you know the worry was they the four man attack would come up against one of those big batting days, and uh, even though we can perhaps class um, Fawad uh, as as a bowling all rounder now, I mean his. His uh, figures uh, certainly uh, uh, looked a bit better on the on the uh, on the bowling side, um, although, yeah, those two wickets came, shall we say, in in um, perhaps softer circumstances. Hey, when you have a, a, when you have a zero not out as your last test innings ever, Alan Gardner, <laughs> then you come back and talk to Fawad Alam, okay? <laughs> I I did uh, just because you know it's Fawad and and I can't get enough. I, I was looking back at his. It's not a particularly long test record, it's fair to say, but since scoring 168 on, on debut in 2009 in the second innings, but it, it, since then he's scored 87 runs at 14.5. Uh, I, you know, I think that is. I think that is in seven innings, one of which is not not out. But um, I mean, I, I hope he's got a long test career ahead of him. But uh, at least we've, we've we'll always have that. We'll we, we, have you know, that, for sure. can't be taken away well, from us. As far as I was aware, Pakistan's selection policy is that you give a sort of underperforming number five or number six seventy-two. Is it consecutive test matches? Oz <laughs> yes. for Shafiq? Seventy-two now. Yes, and you. That's, you I think that's goal. actually. That's the most infuriating thing, I think, um, sort of from the outside perspective about the sort of the refusal to pick a fifth bowler is it's not like 
they've got a gun middle order that you, yeah. you know you can't drop one of them or something like that or they can't back their wicketkeeper to bat a number six because Rizwan was player of the series by a long way from the Pakistan side. So yeah, it it, it definitely seems strange that you'd pick two pretty average batsmen. I, like I, I, I'm Shad, Shadab looks significantly more comfortable in in the first test than I think either of those two did throughout. Yeah, I mean Asad doesn't ever look not comfortable, but he just doesn't score runs. He 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 gets out. Which has been hap- which you know has been happening for well I, I won't say 70, 72 tests seventy five tests or whatever but certainly I think since since Misbah and Yunus went you know he he kind of he he gets that score in every innings in every series he gets that one score when when the series is gone or the match is gone that kind of keeps his average up sadly but you know this series he didn't and and he, yet he still got what sounded like fairly unconditional backing from Azar at the end of the series you know Azar again. The same old line that you know he, he's a proven performer and he's this and he's that. Well, you know, uh, right now his his bowling is doing more, having more of an impact on the on, on the match than his batting is. To get out to Joe Root on that in that last day, that's just I don't know. You know. Yeah, caught bat pad off off Joe Root. Not I don't think many uh... <laughs> bat pad as well. Like it, <laughs> done done him in the flight. Um, <laughs> yes, it, well you mentioned you mentioned Shafiq's bowling there. Um, which brings us back to, to Zach Crawley, the, the highest score to be out stumped in a, a test. Um, and yes, Shafiq will always have that by his name as well. Um, Matt Crawley, uh, the 10th highest test score for England, the second highest score on debut, uh, sorry, not debut, maiden uh, as a maiden 100, the second highest score at number three for England, the third youngest English double centurion. Uh, career best as well, perhaps you know, unsurprisingly, um, this was kind of everything clicking for for creepy. Yeah, I think um, I, you know, for a long time we've we've sort of heard and thought that Crawley might be the next big thing, and I think a lot of the time it's been sort of you know he was clearly brought into the side on potential, and for a long time it's more been hearsay than actual um, cold hard evidence. But yeah, there was there was no disputing there was a pretty pretty special innings. I think one of the interesting things actually was that the number of sort of mini phases within that innings because he came out and scored at nearly a runner mm. ball um sort of you know playing a shot at pretty much everything and then for various periods we sort of settle into long lulls and let someone else take over usually butler um and then sort of turned it on a bit more towards the end but yeah it was it's one of those strange things in in particularly long test innings where people are just ticking off records every third ball or whatever you know knocks a single into the leg side and suddenly there's a little round of applause because he's beaten <laughs> Rob Key's highest highest test score by a Kent player in the modern era or something like that you know um, but yeah no it was it was a, a, a very good innings and I think it's um, it's probably going to buy him a lot of time uh, in this test side um, having been dropped earlier in the summer uh, and yeah I think. Now the the sort of the only vulnerable member of the batting lineup is probably Rory Burns, um, because there will be a temptation to to shift Crawley up at some point if they need to play an extra all rounder for the balance of the side. Um, and Burns had a pretty torrid series. Um, I think it's fair to say against Shaheen. I think he averaged five and dropped a couple of catches. And yeah, just having having sort of looked like the the long term England opener is suddenly starting to look over his shoulder a bit it's probably you know he still averages in the 30s and um you know we know opening is very hard to do in England but he's he's suddenly the vulnerable one um whereas it had obviously been cruelly when he'd fallen out of the side can I just say if 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 your openers are getting outscored by Pakistani openers which I think they were Burns and Sibling the series and 
then perhaps... Cumulatively, yeah, ne- neither had a great uh, series. Uh, well, Burns had a very bad series in Sibley, I think. What, what, uh, Sibley had a couple one, of scores. 150. Yeah, uh, yeah 115 there. Yeah. Okay, he had, yeah, the, the, yeah, I mean, he had a couple of scores, I guess. But if you're being outscored by Pakistan's openers at home then <laughs> there's some cause for concern there. I, I, I wanted to ask actually Matt and, and in fact Alan, what, um, what, what Zach Crawley says about the English county system. <laughs> he averages well, I've already, written, I've already written in defense of the county. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. But he, he's got a, a ridiculously low first class average, right? So what was it that kind of said to England? It's incredibly tough. Guy, Division one runs in England. Oh. In fact, although he started in Division Two, I'm guessing, but yes, he averaged aver- average of thirty point something before this test, and it's now mm. up to um, thirty four, I think, <laughs> with that one innings. Um, but yes, he, well, I mean, he seems to be a bit a bit in the mold of sort of uh, Vaughan and Triscothic or whatever, right, you know, yeah, yeah. Pick, picked out on fairly slim evidence, first class evidence, but you know, recognises having something about him. Certainly, Ed Smith saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned Vaughan. He, I saw he. Um, I, I think it might have been on the radio. Had some sort of fairly inflammatory comments where he said that no, Crawley, Crawley, Crawley proves that you need to you need to get players out of the county system before it gets them into bad habits and sort of ruins their potential. Um, which I, I don't know. I think a lot of uh, a lot of a, a lot of test players over the years would sort of look at somewhat quizzically. Um, but yeah, no, I suppose, well, Crawley's quite an interesting one, actually, because I, I suppose for someone who has been picked on potential at a young age, it would be surprising to then look back through his record and see just how little he played in sort of representative cricket for England. Like, he'd, he'd never played for mm. the under-19s. I think his, I think he played his first game for the Lions mid last summer, um, had, wow. had never really been on any development tours or anything. He'd sort of played a few of those... Um, you know, under fifty and under sixteen sort of development that's, stuff, but that's like it, a total punt. Kind of. I mean, the, the, one of the there was an interesting there, there segment. Are actually, which, of candidates, I think it's fair to say. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> the, something I thought was quite telling was that there was a segment where um, Rob Key, who's obviously been his mentor, was sort of talking mm. about um, all his uh, how proactive he'd been and his get up and go because he. would uh, decided that he needed to get better against um, spin and top quality pace, so he decided to take himself off to India to do some training there, and then to uh, Noddy Holders Academy in I think Perth, somewhere in Australia, uh, to learn how to play top quality uh, pace. And I saw um, someone tweeted in response to that saying, you know, um, I've just asked my my dad why he didn't pay for me to go to India and Australia. Um, <laughs> To help my development, and he told me where I could go, you know. Um, but yeah, he's it, it, probably uh, a, something of an indictment on the on the uh, the sort of old school tie to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it, you know he's clearly clearly a hard worker and has clearly uh, come on a long way in the last uh, eighteen months, two years. Is he the Shan Masood of of England cricket? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure he's quite such a, a scion of, of um, dynastic wealth. Or I've, I've read something about him being his dad is um, uh, the story in the Sun was headlined um, "Rugs to Riches" because his his dad was like an Essex carpet fitter who made a load of money in the city. Ah, okay. So in in some ways, he's, Crawley is actually an example of social mobility in English cricket. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> so, All is well. Um, uh, yeah, um, I would say, Oz, uh, what were you doing at 22 uh, years old and 200 days? I won't ask Matt, he, uh, he might not have even got there. Yeah, I don't think he's there yet, is he? 
how I think Crawley's six weeks older than me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's me in four weeks' time. I'm at finals day at the end of the season. <laughs> Twenty two, I was doing absolutely nothing. I think in Manchester, decide trying to trying to think of something to do after I graduated. It was would have been about a year after I graduated, and I don't think I'd, I'd done any, like a day's honest work um, in in that time. I had just spent that whole year probably just just lying around doing nothing, watching some cricket, but not a lot, um, and not doing well, much. <laughs> Well, a couple of weeks ago, Zach Crawley was doing nothing in Manchester. So, you know, well, there you go. It, it, We're there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, this was also a memorable uh, test for Joss Butler. Uh, Matt, his longest first-class inning, well, his longest innings of any kind, uh, 311 balls, 447 minutes, um, and and a high score of 152. Um, and we're never going to have to talk again about whether he's worth his place on the side. And uh, man of the series is keeping, you know, and no questions there. Yeah, and then Ben Folks went and got 150 in his first game, and uh, and over in about a year for Surrey, I think, at the Oval. But yeah, no, it was a, it, it was a great innings, wasn't it? I think one of the weirdest bits actually was, despite the fact it was, you know, his highest score, his longest innings, all that. It almost felt like an anticlimax when he got out because. Mm. He'd gone for that long boundaryless streak between 100 and 150, um, but yeah, I, I suppose it. Um, Shiver actually dug out from our stats team, dug out some interesting numbers on sort of Butler's record when he's had, um, when when he has and hasn't played a, another test within the past 30 days or something like that. And I suppose everyone is going to perform slightly better when they've when they've been playing for a whole series rather than coming in cold. But I think Butler, it was particularly marked. I think his average was sort of 50% higher. Um, when he has played a test in the past 30 days, um, which I, I thought was interesting and sort of shows the value of him having that time to bed in and actually find his game and maybe does, again, raise those questions as and when we get to the time where England are playing multiple formats and well, <laughs> the same players are playing multiple formats um, as to whether he can uh, continue having sort of finally seemingly found a method this summer, um, which seems to involve batting in the nets and only hitting on drives um, according to every interview he's done um, which he says sort of gets him in balance or whatever which seems like an, maybe an interesting method when Australia start bumping him but um, yeah we'll see I think uh, I, I think he's I don't actually think he was probably that close to being dropped anyway um, but we'll see I, I can't imagine he'll miss a test for a while and if he's fit of course, on drives are banned in in T Twenty cricket, uh, being uh, you know more effort than they're worth. Um, Oz, it was. Uh, I mean, the, from the Pakistan perspective, obviously the weather the weather kind of meant we we uh, were unlikely to get a result um, with those with with a, the amount of time lost in those last couple of days. But after England had wrapped up 583 for eight declared you might have had a small wager on, on Pakistan um, being bowled out twice in 176 mm. overs which is what they ended up facing instead you know they were pretty comfortable uh, 187 for four on that final day when everyone bumped fists um, so there was it was clearly kind of a showing of of, of, of gumption and fibre and all these qualities you associate with Mizbah or Hack um, and, and Azar Ali led the way uh, with that um, 100 in the first innings his first first overseas since 2017 and the, and the first in the post-Mizu era I think yeah I mean uh, you know you'd look at that scorecard years from now and I, there's that stat about how it's the first time they've saved a test after following on in you know I, I don't know how many years it's, it's a long time since they've done it but 
I think the intensity have got, had gone out of that test, certainly as far as England were concerned. I, I think, you know, just the, the incessant rain and the breaks and stuff, I think that had rendered it. And, and it, it would have taken an almighty Pakistan collapse, which they're, of course, you know, more than capable of. But it would have, it would have taken an almighty collapse for, for it to have been anything. So, I mean, yeah, you know, they saved that test match. It probably 1-0 at least. You know, it doesn't look as bad as 2-0, but they're going to be kicking themselves. And I, I hope they are. I hope they've got that kind of ambition. You know, they, they could have won the series um, had it not been for one, essentially one bad session with the bat on what the third day of the first test, I think it was, when, you know, you had a lead of 100 plus, 100, what was the lead, 120 ultimately in that first innings, the lead was something like that, uh, or just under that. Um, and, and, you know, to set a target at the end of 277, that should have been a 350 plus target, you know, it, it had to be, um, which would have changed the complexion of that game, I think. Uh, so they're going to look at that. And, and I hope they don't, you know, sometimes I feel about Azhar Ali that he's, he's not kind of, I, I think he's the kind of guy who would look at this result and say, well, at least we didn't, you know, at least we weren't whitewashed as we have been on our previous series, rather than saying and being really angry about not having won that series. Because when they'd come here, even though they had a fairly inexperienced side, I think they would have looked at England, they looked at their bowling attack, their own bowling attack, and said, right, if we can get, you know, an innings, one innings of 350 plus in this series, then we've got a chance of winning that test match. And if we've got a chance of winning a test match, then we've got a chance of not losing the series. And they had that chance at Old Trafford. Um, you know, they had Sean Masood put up 150. They had that chance and they blew it, frankly. And it wasn't the bowling so much because, I, you know, bowling obviously... They were a bit disappointed with the ball, but I, I'd, I'd rather put that down to Butler and Wilkes and that, and that stand that they had. You know, that, that was some just, especially from Butler, that was just an outstanding innings. Um, very modern, and he, he took risks, and they came off, and, you know, he, he took him home ultimately. But I'd put it down to that batting. If they had added another 50, 60 runs to that target, it, it would have felt a different chase because, you know, suddenly you're looking at a 320 chase, and that's like, well, 300 doesn't get done very often at all. Um, and, and, and the second test, you know, there was hardly anything in it, but I think they had gotten into some kind of position. But you know, that, that test was aborted way too, you know, there was hardly anything had happened in that test for us to draw any conclusions. And what happened in the last test, well, I, I say that that kind of test, it, it's always there. On any Pakistan tour abroad, they always have that one test in them where they're just kind of completely going to implode um, with bat and ball. Um, you know, they, it, they've lost, I think they had lost, when they lost Old Trafford, they had lost seven tests or eight tests in a row outside, uh, away, away from home, not including the UAE, obviously. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's a long-term trend. Uh, they just haven't got a team right now to be able to win tests. You know, you go to Australia, they're never, they, they haven't got a hope in hell of winning a test in Australia. South Africa is pretty much the same. Um, I, I'd say that in South Africa, they at least have, at least the pitches are, uh, are spicy enough to let their bowlers in with the game as well. So when they were last played in South Africa, there was a couple of test matches where they were in, again, they were in positions to drive home an advantage, but they had a collapse, which they did here as well. So you know, until they sort that side of their game out, and you know, we've spoken about guys like Asad Shafiq, who have been coasting, Azhar until now had been kind of you know, struggling for runs. The thing I like about Azhar over Asad, I guess, is that you know, he'll, despite looking like approximately minus a million dollars every time he goes out, he will try and like, you know, scratch out whatever runs he can whether it's 20 in 120 balls over three hours, he will still do that. You know, whereas Asad will come in, play one nice cover drive and be out fourth ball, edging to fourth slip. Um, so, you know, but, but, but I think their kind of regression 
has really hurt Pakistan over these last two years. Just when you wanted them to kind of step up uh, and take control of that batting order, they haven't. And that leaves a lot on Babur, um, you know, and, and, and he's not going to be able to do it every time. And, and the more he doesn't do, the more he doesn't play these amazing innings that we expect him to play, the more people are going to get down on him. Uh, and in Pakistan, you might think it's just the fans, but actually a lot of the time in Pakistan, that kind of filters through to your selections and stuff. And so people in, in positions of power and decision-making will start saying, oh, well, Babur didn't get any hundreds on that tour of England. So, you know, well, uh, uh, is he really that good a player? Or, you know, and they start confusing your T20 form with your test form. And then you can see this all unraveling at some point where suddenly two years down the line, we're thinking, what on earth went wrong with Babur Azam? <laughs> you know, why is he not like a test grade? So they've got to manage it. They've, they've somehow, they've got it. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. They've got a couple of options for the test side. But it's a problem that's been building for a long time. Um, and to lose in England, it, it's going to hurt them because they hadn't lost here for a while now, you know. Um, they hadn't won. They hadn't won a series, but they'd drawn their last two series, which were decent results for them. So to, to now have lost this series, it, it will, uh, and I hope, well, I hope it does, but it should hurt them um, having lost this series. Yeah, as you say, England hadn't, hadn't been Pakistan in tests going back to 2010. Um, mm. And and it well, it's a shame really uh, the the weather being as it was because you could see almost the full range of results there from sort of England winning three nil to uh, to to <laughs> losing two one um, if we'd had managed to to play those um, the second and third test to a, a conclusion um, when it comes to Baba and and mistaking his T twenty form for his test format might not be such a bad thing at least you know looking at his his record in that format which is you know what the tour moves on to now. Um, Baba Azam, the captain of the T20 side. Uh, there is no T20 World Cup to pair, prepare for anymore um, because something much more important has taken its place in, in IPL. Um, but uh, Matt, uh, I mean, England are—they are planning for back-to-back -back, um, T20 World Cups uh, as are Pakistan, um, but, but they're without several first-choice players um who have been in the in that test bu bubble um they're also without Jason Roy now um who was pulled out with an injury so this series um again it's going to be chances for people like David Milan Tom Banton Sam Billings maybe Lewis Gregory those are the the, the names we're looking out for to, to make an impression over the next week yeah I think that's exactly it um I think I'm I'm very interested to see how how Banton goes at the top of the order. Um, it, it, I think in Rory's absence, he's he's definitely going to. Well, he he'll, I expect he'll play all three games. Um, he, I don't know. He's had a mixed time of it really over the winter. He had a brilliant big bash and then had a a very underwhelming PSL where he was sort of talking about um, you know falling out of love with the game to a certain extent after you know a winter of hotel rooms uh, and also. I think I think one of the interesting bits will be to see how he matches up against the left arm seamers because he he did struggle against them in the PSL, um, like quite badly. I think um, it, against left arm pace, he, I think he was out four times, scored about a runner ball, which is not the sort of the Tom Banton we know. And it, it'll be interesting to see to what extent that was sort of down to that angle against him taking the ball away from him, making him hit <laughs> over the offside, versus just the fact that he was sort of burnt out after a long winter. Um, I actually think there's a, there's a real missed opportunity here um, to look at one player in particular who's Liam Livingston. Um, I, I think there's, a, there's maybe an outside chance he was sort of named as one of the reserves on top of the 14-man squad. So I suppose he's probably the, the most likely person to come in and replace uh, Roy if England do go down that route. But I expect that depending on the balance, they'll, they'll give Billings and 
possibly slash probably Joe Denley a go uh, in the middle order. I think if you asked, you know, a hundred general managers and head coaches of T20 teams around the world who they would rather have batting at number five, 95 of them would say Livingston over Denley. Um, he's actually done that job, uh, which Denley hasn't done. Denley's batted, I think, outside the top three, maybe five times in his T20 career, and all of them have been for England. Uh, whereas Livingston's battled in the middle order in the PSL and the MSL, a bit in the blast where he's needed to, and actually bowls some pretty handy uh, leg spin and off spin when needed to. Uh, and I, he's another one who's probably been treated fairly poorly by England to a certain extent. And he had a couple of games in 2017 and went on the uh, went on the test tour to New Zealand as a reserve that winter. But since then has kind of just been on the fringes of squads. And it's hard to see how he gets into the side if he's not getting picked for, you know, home series against Ireland and Pakistan when the best players aren't available. So um, I think that's the sort of the missing piece in the jigsaw for England at the moment is that um, that role, because they they basically know that it's going to be Roy Butler, Bairstow, Morgan, Stokes and Moeen as six of the top seven. Uh, and then they try Denley and Milan at various points in South Africa. Um, so that's kind of the big question mark. Billings probably has a good chance to stake his case. David Willey's back in contention. Um, but yeah, I think it would have been a good opportunity to to look at Livingston. Um, and for whatever reason, they've decided to to stick with uh, our, our good friend, Mr. Denley. Well, he's the man in possession, I think, would be the, uh, <laughs> the, the phrase that England do like to use. Um, going back to that South Africa tour at uh, uh, number six or number five or number six, certainly um, uh, not his familiar birth uh, in, in domestic franchise uh, T20. Um, Oz, Pakistan, uh, where, where are they with their, with their T20 game? They, they went on this incredible run uh, a while back of winning sort of 11, I think it was, mm. series in a row. Um, but it's kind of gone a little bit off, uh, off the rails since then. Um, they had a, a difficult time in Australia, as, uh, as yeah. teams tend to, but I think they lost at home to Sri Lanka as well. And during this time, uh, Mizbar made some very, very interesting picks with kind of uh, Ahmed Shahzad and, and Umar Akmal coming back into the team. So where are where are we now um, with their selection and, and, and sort of personnel kind of for this gone, tour? They've gone all over. It's, it's bizarre. So, uh, you know, the 11 wins in a row was, was, was a little bit kind of, you know, it sounded a lot better than it actually was because it included kind of one-off matches and... <clears throat> matches against weaker sides and stuff. But the, the point was that that was a really good, it was a really good side because they knew what they were doing. Um, they knew that they had a batting lineup good enough on most surfaces to get up to about anywhere between 170 and 180. And then they had the bowling and the fielding. And they had, in Safraz, Emma, they had a captain who, who could defend that kind of target. You know, Safraz is very, very well attuned to kind of defending in T20s. I think he's proven that with his captain, Siet Quetta, who, who won the PSL a couple of seasons ago. Um, they had that. They, they lost a series in South Africa. It was a close series. Um, they lost that series. And then, they, and, and then suddenly, you know, the, the, there was a big period where they didn't play. And this happens a lot with Pakistan, where you have this big gap at the end of their home season to when they start. So if they don't play in, in, in the Northern Hemisphere summer, uh, sometimes, then, you know, people kind of forget what's happened uh, in, in, like, the run-up to that period. And so when they start their season again, People, again, they forget and they're just like, oh, you know, they were really bad last time. And so they had this massive shakeup. They got rid of Safraz as captain. They brought in Barber, which was, I, I thought it was an iffy move. Safraz, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's a, 
He's a great T20 player and he's not like an obvious T20 player, but he had a control of that side and, and he had become a good T20 captain, um, which is, I think, what Pakistan needed. So now they've got Babar uh, and then they made these odd picks. Um, and now they're in this place where they've, got, they've, they've still got Shoaib Malik and Mohammad Hafiz in their side, um, which, you know, you, you've got to start wondering, well, for what is one question because, you know, the, I'm not sure why they're there. You know, I, I'm, I'm really not because you would think that now it's about time that they had moved on, not only because they should move on, but, but they've got options there. So this PSL threw up a couple of guys uh, and the kind of guys that they've needed, I think, some, you know, some firepower in that, in that middle order. Um, so they've got guys like Heather Ali, who, who went big in the PSL this season. They've got Pushdeel Shah, who also did really well this season. And uh, so, you know, you, you're bringing along these guys and, and I think it's, it's, it's those two that a lot of people are going to be looking out for uh, through much of this series, um, more so than looking out. And like, if you ask somebody in the management why they pick somebody like Malik and, and Hafiz now, and they'll say that oh, it's just the experience and the calm that they bring. And I've never seen experience and calm be actually quantified in like a close, you know, if you're defending, like if, if you've got to defend I don't know, 13 in the last over and, and and, and you've got a bowler coming on for it. I, I don't see how Malik or Hafiz is going to change that situation. Um, they're not going to do anything to change that situation. Physically, they're not going to do anything to change that situation. So just you need to aura, just have good play. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, how are you going to work it? So, I mean, you know, I, I'm glad that they've, I think, I think Heather and Khushdeel, Pakistan are going to, are going to uh, invest quite a lot of hope in at least if not time, because they're not known to invest a lot of time into, into players generally. But I think they're going to invest a lot of hope in, in that these are the guys who are kind of going to make their batting lineup a little bit more modern and, uh, and not just capable of 160 to 170, but upwards of that. And, and I think they're going to look at these guys. And you know, you, you've got Barber who's improved his game, I think. Thanks, in fact, and this one's for Matt, but thanks to the blast, I think, last year, where he significantly improved his strike rate in, in the power play, which, you know, was one of the kind of not not crosses, but like you know, one of the not tick marks that was against kind of his T20 batting. Um, Fakhar Zaman, they could do with scoring some runs from him, some runs from him generally. Uh, and then you get into that middle order. I think one of the key guys actually, and one one guy who's dipped a little bit is Ishadab Khan, um, who who his kind of bowling has dipped a little bit as much as his batting has risen. Uh, he had a good batting season at the PSL this season, and he, and he was captain as well at, at Islamabad United. So, you know, they, they want to hope that they can kind of get him back because he's a really, really important part of that bowling lineup as well. Um, so, you know, as ever, Pakistan, uh, they're, they're looking okay. There's a couple of guys that you're going to look out for. I just feel like there's now so much uncertainty and so much time between now and, and the T20 World Cup that it's, what, what are you really hoping to draw from this series? It's, it's kind of become a useless bilateral series in the middle of nowhere for no reason. Mizbar might might not even be selected by the by the time the next uh, uh, series comes around. Um, I mean, Mohammed Hafiz clearly uh, this is just time for him to get his reward for all that time in lockdown. You know, isolating from everyone else, no contact with the outside world. So, you know, it would be uh, it would be cruel not to uh, uh, to repay that. Um, do, do we do we done think that more COVID tests than any other human in the history of, <laughs> of this pandemic? <laughs> Seven, I think, at last count within the space of about a month. <laughs> and and just one round of golf. Um, do, do, do we expect um, Safraz to, to keep wicket? Or, I mean, uh, uh, I think Rizwan is in the squad. Well, uh, so Rizwan is in the squad. 
Uh, and, you know, he, he was the man in, in possession, as Joe Denley is. He's, he's the man in possession. But <laughs> I, do, I don't think... Counts for a lot. I mean, well, and Matt will probably be better placed to say, but I'm not really sure how important it is for somebody who's going to be batting that low down. I mean, you know, keepers coming that low down, would you rather that they are better keepers or would you rather that there are, there's some explosiveness in their, in their batting? I don't, neither, because neither of them are explosive batsmen at all. Yeah, that's, and Rizwan's that's the, the better keeper. So, we haven't got enough time to answer that question today. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the, tr- the tricky call that's sort of always there. I think it depends a <laughs> the bit Michael on the Bates balance pop. of your attack. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the one thing that I was going to mention was the fact that um, I actually think it might maybe be a better option to have Hader Ali as the keeper because apparently he can, he can yeah. take the gloves and I don't really understand the point and the, the sort of specialist keeper at number eight or nine in that side um, mm. when you could actually have quite a... A, a long at least batting lineup if you have Shadow at six yep. or seven. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be. I'm I'm interested to see how um, how England go against people like Amir and Wahab as well because they've they've struggled against left arm pace as we saw in the World Cup last summer against um, you know Berendorf, Stark, Bolt, etc. Um, so yeah, there could, could be some interesting matchups there. Um, and also good to see Harris Ralph get a go hopefully on English soil. Um, who a lot of people won't have seen too much of, but, um, you know, sort of starred Has- last year well, in the yeah, Big Bash. Hasnan was there last year for the World Cup, wasn't he? He, he did play in the World Cup. Like, he was in the squad at least last year, Mohamed Hasnan for the World Cup. Um, fresh off a hat-trick, I think, again, his last game against Bangladesh, last T20. I think, I think he had a hat-trick. He did. He has a great head of hair as well. I'm delving into the Simakram commentary here, but he has a great head of hair. <laughs> I'm always delighted to hear that sort of thing. Um, I mean, the, the, these two squads, I mean, there would be quite a lot of familiarity there. A lot of the England players have played PSL uh, and, and several of the, the Pakistan side um, have been over here. Um, Matt, we, we should, we have to uh, talk about Joe Root. Uh, the, the England will play uh, T20s against Australia after this uh, Pakistan series uh, and there will be a selection for that accordingly. So you know some of those players such as Josh Butler and Jofra Archer so on you might expect to to come back in um Root is going back to Yorkshire to play T20 I think for the first time uh, in over a year he uh, you know he's not given up on the dream um and you can imagine that it won't take much uh, much at all really to tempt England to go back there but uh but should they I think there's a much stronger case for it with the next tournament being in India Put it that way. I think Root is a, a, a uh, good player of spin. Diplomatic on, hat on today. I think when yeah, if you put him in a squad, <laughs> if you put him in a squad as fifteen as the the sort of reserve batsman who comes in uh, to play on the tricky wickets and tries to get you out of a mini collapse because your openers get out to to a wrist spinner or something like that, then there's a place for him. Um, I think again, it all comes back to basically the question of how much he's actually going to be able to play. Um, in a way, it might help his case more to have a proper run of games sort of figuring things out for Yorkshire and presumably facing a lot more balls in the blasts rather than just playing three end of season games against Australia or maybe being in the bubble and being unused um, but yeah I think there's, there's there's probably more of a space for him I think a lot of people will, would like the option of um, Bersto shifting up to open with Roy Butler coming in as a floater and uh, Root, Root is the number three. I think it's difficult to see given how few T20s he's played in the last, I think it's something like 23 in the past four years, mm. um, how he can possibly be, um, you know, if you look at the fact that England now have seemingly hundreds of players with franchise experience around the world and you've got a guy who's played in the format 20 times in four years, I, I can't really see how he can possibly be in the best team. But 
you know, I, I can see that there might be a role for him in India, uh, sort of reprising that 2016 tournament and, uh, you know, uh, celebrating the winning runs with his, yeah, Roller Talkna uh, celebration, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> is it, isn't it isn't it passe to have like a guy who who rebuilds a collapse? Aren't aren't we going the way of like Jamaica now and like just having <laughs> having seven hitters and Andre Russell actually rebuilding an innings? Isn't that? Well, I, w- I watched Jamaica get I think one hundred and ten all out or something like that in the CPL <laughs> last night. So I'm not sure that's necessarily the long term option. But yeah, it's I think the, the way forward. That's the the I guess the point on that is that people like Smith and Coley have managed to anchor while scoring at 140 um whereas root sort of has anchored scoring at 120 um and arguably Dawid milan is better suited to that role if england want it um and i'll tell you who definitely would be in my t20 side looking at this at the moment is alex hales um who he comes up against tonight i I suppose most people will probably be listening to the pod after that game but yeah root v hales is quite a quite a tasty blast opener i think um more of that i'm sure on the site before too long <laughs> people are um trying to kick root out of the fab four um or should they should they deny him his t20 aspirations as well you know i i i just remember that in 2016 at that world t20 it's a long time ago now but in 2016 at that world t20 he played one of the innings of that tournament <clears throat> um when england chased down what 220 or something against south africa yeah, um, yeah. And, and he was good in that. I think he was fairly good in that tournament. He had a decent tournament, I think. That wasn't the only innings that he played. And I think since then, I get that he's wanted to play, right? He, he is keen on playing T20s. But England, I, th- I think because tests matter so much and because he's test captain, I think it's kind of been the trade-off maybe with the schedules that they have that, you know, let's... And then, and then last season, he went to the bash, right? He went to the big bash was it last season and, and it didn't turn out too well. But if, if he had been playing as much as Coley and Smith and, and Williamson say, then, then who's to say that that strike rate of 120 would not now have developed to 135, 140, you know, because the more you play the, I mean, you know, Coley and these guys have also worked out their games in T20. It's not like they came into it and they were immediately, I don't think they somebody like Williamson, I think more than Coley is the kind of example I think that Root can look towards. Um, I think he's got the game for it. I still feel like he's got the game for it, but it's just a question of whether he plays enough of it around the world. And he's not been allowed to play, you know, not, not been allowed, but he just hasn't had the time in the calendar to be able to go around the world and play in leagues. He could really benefit from playing in the PSL, from playing in the CPL, um, from playing in the Blast more often or whatever. You know, he, he really could, because I think he does have it in him uh, as a batsman and he wants to do it. And, and I often feel like he gets a bit pissed off that he's not allowed to kind of develop and really become somebody like a Williamson or a Smith or a, well, I, I, I'm not, Matt, again, you will back, you will, you will tell me right on this, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced about Smith in T24, Matt. You know? I, I think he's, I think he is probably now in Australia's best team or probably okay. will be at least in, in after a quite a good home summer. But yeah, I think, I okay. think that's entirely right. I, just as an aside, I would, you two probably know better than me, but I would probably be quite cheesed off if I were Root's wife and having just given birth to my second child and missed him all summer in the test bubble. He was uh, going straight off to play in the blast for uh, for the best part of six weeks, potentially. But... <laughs> I don't know. There's days when my, my kids and wife would be quite happy to see me out playing the blast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we'll soon find out what Virat Kohli's, um, uh, you know, uh, dad skills are like on that front. So, you know, that's the that's the big news. Uh, we probably should have been talking about this for the last hour. Um, <laughs> Australian we... cricket could go bankrupt if if we had that. Time. <laughs> 
Yes, uh, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're all going to be um, intimately acquainted with uh, Anushka Sharma's uh, scan results for the next uh, five yes. months, I'm sure. And good luck to them both. Uh, before, before we do go, um, Matt, the, the blast starts tonight. What's, what's the format? Who are the contenders? I mean, obviously Essex are going to uh, be strong favourites to defend that title. Uh, yeah, th- three groups of six this year rather than um, two of nine. Uh, sort of shorter and sharper. I think it'll be, again, just as difficult to follow as it always is, particularly with some sort of um, 2 p.m. midweek games. Uh, I think there's actually some ongoing as re- as we record at 3.30 on a uh, on a Wednesday, is it? Um, so, yeah, it's it's not exactly the, the, the it's a Thursday, easiest yeah. to... <laughs> Thursday, I apologise, to keep track of. Well, these, these CPL late nights are messing with me. But yeah, I think uh, it's, it's Sussex and Sussex and Knotts are the favourites and uh, I'll have uh, North Ants as dark horses so we can drag this out when they uh, come bottom of the central group. But yeah, they've got a, a top four of uh, Richard Levy, Paul Sterling, Josh Cobb and Adam Rossington, which uh, packs a punch in more ways than one. There's a fair few, uh, fair few pounds between them, but also quite a lot of six hitting potential. So yeah, keep an eye for them. <laughs> we're a heavyweight uh, uh, team uh, and we will yes doubtless dredge this up again uh, when they come bottom that is uh, that's probably just about enough for one day uh, there is still lots to come in this behind closed doors English summer Australia are in town West Indies women are confirmed as tourists for next month too hopefully we're not forever blowing bubbles but it is of course better than the alternative Anyway, for now, my thanks to Oz and Matt and to you all for tuning in. Do feel free to rate us on your preferred podcast provider and keep up with the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com.